HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch, grass-fed beef raised on California's central coast. Now available online through Larder Meat Company. Learn more at hearstranch.com. Welcome to Life's a Banquet, a podcast about the highs and the lows of everything edible, spreadable, and pourable with me, your host, a big turkey, and my co-host, Nicole, uh, who is obviously thick turkey gravy. Um, folks, I have sore arches today. I'm standing on my feet. I started the Zaza lasagna pop-up again for the winter wearing shoes with very poor arch support, and now my little arches are sore and swollen. So if anyone has tips for sore arches, please send them uh, our way. Uh, as you may have know, as you may have guessed by this point, this is going to be a rerun, but don't worry because it's a very free, a very fun rerun and a free rerun um, about leftovers. And so, how perfect, how apropos to rerun an episode about leftovers. Am I right, folks? Um, we are going to be celebrating Thanksgiving with our friends and our fams. Uh, a very complicated and evil holiday, um, but reclaiming new meaning for just families getting to be together, which is sweet, especially after the really intensely traumatic two years that we've all had and having to be apart. It's really nice to be able to kind of just get together and, um, I don't know, just have some fun and, and be with each other. So we're trying, we're trying to just focus on that element of the holiday. Um, sending our biggest hugs and kisses to all you cutie pies, everybody. Let's pray for Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez that they, get through the holiday with grace and style and um yeah let us know what your what do you what's your least favorite holiday side and your most favorite send all that direct message us at life's a banquet uh podcast on the old instagram that's the thing right myspace just send us a beep whatever works tin can and a string we want to hear from you um, all right. Well, this is my last bit of energy I used to record this intro. So you're welcome. And uh, we love you guys all so much. And happy holidays, friendos. Hasta la pasta and also hasta la stuffing. Goodbye. i
Welcome to Life's a Banquet, a podcast about the final days of living on the planet Earth with me, your host, <laughs> Nicolas Cage, and... And me, also Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Two ca- A cage match? <laughs> Is this I a cage match? I think it's match? like a face-off. Oh, yeah. Should we, I think, did we talk about this already on the show, or was this just personal about a cage match? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it's probably come up. Absolutely. Anything Sounds Nicolas like Cage can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than Nicolas Cage. Are you saying, oh, so you're, you're like saying that your life is like a cage match? Yeah, basically. <laughs> you're like one-upping him at all times? Exactly. Take that, Nicolas Cage. Okay. Well, I Don't try to cage me. Your version of, um... Face what's off. The one, what's the one where they catch him on fire and the bees? He's like the bees, the oh bees. yeah, about like the, the olden times, the Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah, he's amazing at freaking out. I watched. Um, I have got Nicolas Cage on the brain, obviously. When don't I? But I came home the other night and was so tired and just brain dead. And I watched The Family Man. Oh, I love that with Taya Leone. Yes, Taya oh, Leone. I love that. It really is quite good. And it's he does cute. A, it's very cute. And he does a lot of Nick Cage classic freaking out, which is great. He's like, well, how, how could this be? Where am I? It's like Scrooged or A Christmas totally. Carol, basically. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. I think it's freaking cheesy and adorable. And I, Tay Leone, smoking hot. Yeah, Tay Leone's great. And then last night I watched a movie equally. Well, this one, this movie was not great, but... um. It was a Bonnie Hunt vehicle. She was in it, and she directed it and wrote it. It was called Return to Me. Bonnie Hunt, star of Jerry Maguire? Exactly. (laughs) America's most famous celebrity, Bonnie Hunt. And um, it was with David Duchovny. Jumanji? Oh, yes. Jumanji. (laughs) Sorry, what was the movie? It was called Return to Me. It was kind of almost like Untamed Heart in that it featured a young mini driver having received a heart transplant, although... Not from a baboon, but there was a large ape in the movie. Huh. Which came first? Mm. What, the ape or mini driver? The untamed heart or return to me. I think that untamed heart did because this must have been from late 90s and untamed heart is definitely early 90s. Who is the male person in it? I feel like I've seen this like DVD cover, but I've never seen this movie. Well, the reason I brought it up is because the male star is David Duchovny, husband right. and sex That's addict of right. Taylor Leone. Yes, yeah, they're still friends. Are they married still? No, they they got divorced, but they remained close friends. Amazing, and I'm I'm assuming they're both listening now, guys. Please call <laughs> into the, the show, <laughs> friends the Duchovnys, the-, <laughs> <laughs> the once and former Duchovnys. <sighs> Holy shit. How well, was your you know thing? What I watched last night is a movie, another movie that I never wanted to watch because the DVD looks so stupid is Crossing Delancey. What is that? It's a really, it's kind of a, it's in the, it's in the vein of um, Moonstruck. Okay. Uh, except for instead of Italian, there's Jewish. Nice. And um, Amy Irving. Who the hell star, is that? Star of Carrie. Oh. Um, star Carrie? Of, she plays the the regular brown haired teenager, the one who's not the mean one in. Oh, uh, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. She was also married to Steven Spielberg for a while back in the oh, day. Wow. Before he married blonde lady that he's still married to. Um, oh yeah, what is her Kate name? Kate Capshaw. Kate Capshaw, yeah. Um. Anyway, it's Amy Irving, 
there's um, an early, a young, the brother from Frasier. What's his name? David Hyde Pierce. Oh, Niles. What uh, a nerd. There's, there's a young, the bad guy from The Fugitive. <laughs> the guy who is like the, he's like vaguely foreign. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and he kind of looks like Mr. Big from Sex and the City, but he's yeah. not him. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this guy. I just know you from being the bad, spoiler alert, the bad guy in The Fugitive. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen The Fugitive, stop <laughs> listening now. And go watch Crossing the Lancey first. Um, but it's cute. It's just a little, it's a little rom- like rom-com, super 80s. Um, and the, the main character is pretty hot, but I don't really, I'd never heard of him before. So Really? An unknown hottie? Yeah, but it's cute. But if I looked it up on the internet and I saw the DVD cover and I'm like, this is why I've seen this DVD cover. And it's just like a huge, a giant picture of Amy Irving's face. And then it's a teeny tiny little picture of the guy that she ends up getting with. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> is the guy she ends up getting with the guy from the, the villain from The Fugitive? Mm-mm. Not Harrison Ford. Guys, guess what? Harrison Ford didn't do it. It was, in fact, a one-armed man. He did not kill his wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's but, a great um, movie. Good movie. Yeah. Amazing. H. Ford. Oh, I um, also watched, sorry, one more. No, please. Good God, go on. I watched the second movie from the guy who made the movie um, with where it's just like four people that swing in the 70s. What's it called? Like Bob Carroll. Oh, sure. Brian Peter Paul Mary. Rosemary <laughs> Time. <laughs> So he made this other movie called um, Bloom in Love about a divorce lawyer who is in love with his ex-wife. And it's pretty fun. Cool. It's all about swinging California in the 70s. Ooh, key parties? Yeah. You know, I'm going to now bring up one more movie because, guys, in case you (laughs) thought this was a historical food podcast, you're wrong. It's a movie podcast about movies you don't care about. So I'm going to talk about a movie called The Ice Storm. Um, oh, everyone knows about the ice cream. Which was a which is a great movie. Um, but, and features a key party. Oh and yeah, things and go Sigourney terribly Weaver wrong in a career revival. Yes, and Sigourney Weaver. It's true. She did get she did get in there, minus mm-hmm. the aliens. Yeah, it was just her having an affair with someone I don't remember. <laughs> with some bland white man <laughs> <laughs> who was not nearly hot enough for her. Um, how was your Thanksgiving, my friend? It was fine. I my sister came and picked me up and we went to her house and it was just me and her and her boyfriend and her dog. And they all work from home, so it was safe. Um cool. and yeah, we just ate a bunch of turkey and trimmed the tree. I made a bunch of tiki drinks, I made some painkillers, I made Ooh. some Mai Tais. What the hell? Um Did you make Orjot yeah. for it? No, I bought it. Oh, but you had Orjat on hand. Yeah. yeah Great. Yeah. It's hard to find that Orjat. We used to make it well, at Brucey. It was very time-consuming. Yeah, I actually... You, well, you can make it from almond milk to avoid having to, like, do all the shit with the almonds. But um, I just found... So I did a little research. I think it was hard to find, like, a natural version in Chicago. Um, so I ended up just buying the Giffard brand version of it which is it's very very almondy so some people are anti that but i actually like it i like the really strong almond marzipan flavor um and they just use almond extract in there so i actually was very fine with that version because the the homemade versions of the really natural ones don't have as strong of a flavor 
So. Right, and in which case, what's the point? I made a cake a couple of months, like two months ago, and brought it up to my friend Alexis's house. It was like a plum almond cake, and I put some almond extract in it. And the kids, like all weekend, were like, "We have cake! We have some of the cake!" Like they were just dying for it. And finally, she let them have some, and they all like <laughs> pour their faces just like completely soured, and they all like spit it out. They're like, "We don't like this cake because it had like someone." <laughs> almond extract in it they like hated it and now I I feel like they don't I feel like they don't like anything I make because like I've scarred them with like a Mm -hmm. little bit of almond extract which is fine yeah I mean little kids they're very picky they're picky but they're goddamn cute my nephew has been roasting a lot of vegetables here and he keeps asking me for the salty white broccoli that I keep roasting (laughs) what is the salt oh cauliflower it's cauliflower (laughs) salty white broccoli yeah that's funny that's like Joe Biden's nickname in high school (laughs) (laughs) it makes no sense but it's so funny that's his nickname now (laughs) salty white broccoli here I'm reporting for president (laughs) thanks I'll take it from here did Orange, you see that, those pictures of him, like, lifting weights in the gym? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was disturbing. Wow, that's hilarious. That's amazing. He's trying to one-up Ruth Bader Ginsburg. He's kind of ripped. Is he? Is he hot? We don't know it. He's definitely not hot. Hmm. I think Bernie Sanders is hot, but I know that I'm very much oh, alone right. in my belief that, well, of that. I have a thing for old, bald Jews with an attitude. <laughs> Because I also like Larry David. Okay. Well, they're related, so. I know. That's funny that they're related, isn't it? It sure is. Um, but not really, you... if you think about it. Because <laughs> they look alike. They talk alike. <laughs> yeah. They even kind of walk alike. Um, so I, since you asked, I went up to Kingston to visit uh, my friends that I was just speaking about, Alexis and her family. Very sweet. We had a friend who brought some delicious pheasant. Mm. Look, pheasant is is good. Who knew? I'd never had it before, but old um, timey people. Yeah, old, people in the old days, in the ancient old days, did know it was good. But you know what? They were right. It was very delicious. And yeah, we just, what's like, the made... difference between a pheasant and a goose? Uh, just like a different outfit, I think. Hmm. I think a pheasant is leaner because have you these... had a goose before? Have I had a goose? Of course I've had a goose, Nicole. I had a goose really? last night. <laughs> Just kidding. I didn't. Imagine <laughs> I made myself like a whole glistening goose. <laughs> You're just like recreating the 12 days of Christmas? Yeah, I just eat a different fowl each day. Um, yeah, I've had goose. It's very, there's a lot of fat on a goose. And like the pheasant had fat, but not nearly as much as like a goose is just like, Sounds seems gross. unhealthy. It is, you know what? <laughs> it is kind of gross. And I also fuck geese. They're shitty animals they're awful I know. they're nasty there's so many geese all over the place here because we have so many fucking sub like subdivisions with all mm-hmm. the urban sprawl here um and so there's just geese shit everywhere yeah they're awful i've been bitten by a goose on like i don't know dozens of times because i grew up uh my dad was the manager of a golf course and so we lived on the property and it was littered with geese and they would bite and snap and take your food and they're they're horrible and they shit everywhere they have no manners although i did have a gladys goose lamp growing up that i wish i still had because now they're worth thousands of dollars are you familiar with the gladys goose lamp yeah for some reason i looked them up on the internet because somebody posted on instagram.com and when i found out that they were five hundred dollars i was shocked yeah we had one in my house they were all the rage i think in like this late 70s 
Maybe even earlier, but I remember we had one and I asked my mom about it and I think she just burned it in a fire. A glass item? It wasn't glass. It was plastic. Oh, it's... Ew, that's even worse. Yeah. I have a question for you, Nicole, about eating exotic birds. Why do you think we don't eat swans? Somebody's eating a swan. Well, I mean, clearly somebody's eating a swan. But like... It's because of the ugly duckling, that children's story. It's pro-swan propaganda. (laughs) Pro-swanaganda? Are you working for Big Swan? Yeah. Um, you know, you work but, for Dove. <laughs> how dare you? How fucking dare you? Look, I wouldn't eat a Dove. I mean, that's not true. I would eat a Dove. What's the difference between a Dove and a chicken, really, right? At the end of the day. What's a turtle Dove? Is that different from a freaking regular Dove? Well, it's that's like, in the 12 days of Christmas. Right. A turtle Dove is like, remember what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when people would sew different animals together? So a turtle <laughs> yep. Dove is just a Dove <laughs> with a Dove's butt and a turtle a turtle upper body face but they can still fly (laughs) (laughs) it is a dove that has dove wings um and a dove butt but it has turtle fangs and a turtle's face and claws and it uses dove body wash and it uses dove body wash and it's great (laughs) at karate and it loves pizza just like every other turtle that we know but look anyone out there who has dined on swan flesh please call into the show david duchovny i'm looking at you yeah <laughs> he looks like a swan nibbler doesn't he sure yeah. those celebrities mm-hmm. always eating crazy pheasants <laughs> celebrities always packing their gullets full of rare <laughs> birds eagles and vultures it's like before they have like the secret sex party they all eat rare birds <laughs> <laughs> and then some of them are rare birds isn't that like the the conspiracy theory of like the reptilian race that they're i mean birds are reptiles so what we're trying to tell you guys is that david duchovny is a swan it goes all the way to the top <laughs> holy shit oh my god well we've uncovered it folks should we get into our topic <sighs> yeah right. let's talk about um something that i'm sure everyone is thinking about today six days after thanksgiving and that's leftovers mm, yum. <laughs> yeah uh, my my first angle was to just find some really disgusting and or elaborate leftovers to make fun of but then i realized that that <laughs> is rude and also probably a little bit class shamey Totally. I kind of had the same feeling, too, about leftovers, like wanting to say, ew, leftovers, but I mean, how how elitist. I do have a couple of things. One is that there was a Thanksgiving leftover sandwich recipe posted in the New York Times, and Mm -hmm. people freaked out about it. Did you see this? I did, yes, but please tell our (laughs) listeners, because it's hilarious. People were not having it. They're like, I've had enough of this year. Not a Thanksgiving sandwich on top of it, goddammit. One of the... (laughs) One of the comments that I read was just like, what? A Thanksgiving sandwich that makes even more leftovers? This is ridiculous. And just like went off. He's like, I will not be making this sandwich. Okay. Like, okay. okay, cool. Good to have fun not doing it. We don't care. Nobody asked. Um, and the other thing I saw, which gave me pause, was the Thanksgiving Crunchwrap Supreme recipe. No. <laughs> I love a Crunchwrap Supreme. Me too. Like turkey. And also the picture of it, there's like, there's a picture of it where it has like turkey and like cranberry dressing, but also like scallions. Scallions? 
Yeah. Is it supposed to be vaguely like Mexican too? Is there like jalapenos in it or? I don't even know. It was I was deeply troubled, but you know, no leftover shaming. Whatever you guys gotta do. We made a left. We made a turkey casserole thing at my sister's house. Good. That makes sense. My thing with like Thanksgiving leftovers is that I think. Again, I'm not trying to leftover shame either or be elitist or like be negative about like say being frugal or not wasting food. But I think with Thanksgiving leftovers, a lot of times people try to like be as like, I don't know, over the top, like disgusting and like I'm I'm searching for the word. Um, I don't know, just making things that are like over the top that like shouldn't be eaten. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. A casserole is fine. The sure, other thing that I great. thought was kind of annoyed by, I also, we just made these things where I took the leftover mashed potatoes, mixed cheese and an egg in there and put them in muffin tins. And those were freaking good. Wow. Look at you. You're a regular old Betty Crocker. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, but I, people, I saw a recipe for like turkey tikka masala, but like if you don't have that shit already to go, then exactly your refrigerator is already jam packed full of thanksgiving items and you're gonna go go make turkey tikka masala i don't know you could just eat just... like the same thing like <laughs> i don't understand the repurposing on day two do you know <laughs> what i mean maybe like a soup or something but it's like if you still have mad of everything just eat the same thing over again that's what yeah. i don't get yeah anyways so i decided to just kind of look around and see what's out there and i found an article called the economic history of leftovers Love in it. the atlantic by helen viet from 2005 Hi simpler time um (laughs) really was huh and i'm basically just gonna read it to you guys verbatim okay (laughs) great i'm just gonna put on my sleeping cap (laughs) (laughs) and settle in for a long winter's nap okay (laughs) okay so in the 19th century maybe you've heard of it Mm. (laughs) (laughs) sorry people People didn't have, there wasn't a category for leftovers because using leftover food was so fundamental. So, like, it wasn't, mm. like, you would just, because there was no refrigeration, um, the the preserving process was part of the cooking process. So, it was right. just, like, we're cooking. For breakfast, you're going to eat whatever was finished from dinner. Um, and that's, you know, people were pickling things and smoking things and salting things. And... Um, there was always a big simmering stock pot on the stove and you mm. just throw all your trash in there. Totally. Get, put a bone, put a bone in and you got a stew going like Carl Weathers likes to say. Yeah. But your house is going to be so smelly. Um, your dugout. And also <laughs> I'm just picturing Lauren Ingalls Wilder during all of these 19th century <laughs> moments as she would like. She would um, love it. She would love this episode. <laughs> so by the turn of the century, ice boxes had come around and been invented and they were becoming standard in the home and then electric refrigerators followed pretty soon after that and that basically just changed how everybody ate so basically in one generation we stopped making cheese pickling eggs and making ketchup which is my favorite part of the beginning of meet me in st louis a great movie i've never seen judy garland it's a christmas Um, movie right it's it's not really a christmas movie but that the song have yourself a merry little christmas was written for that movie got it okay um, so it could be considered Christmassy. Um, and so when the refrigerator sort of became a thing, the term leftovers was invented. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1910, a cookbook called Leftover Foods and How to Use Them was commissioned by a refrigerator corporation. 
Mm, very sneaky big refrigerator. Those corporations are always trying to make cookbooks like we're not going to notice what's going on, but we noticed. Exactly. <laughs> In the early 20th century, Americans spent 40% of their income on food. Whoa. Now we spend 40% of our income on rent and student loans. <laughs> yes. And what and, and what do we spend on food? It's like less than 10%. 60 Really? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, not me. I spend so much money on food and then I barely even eat anything and just put it in my like freezer. <laughs> my, and then my freezer just broke because there's so much food in it. Yeah. <laughs> I have That's a problem. A rich person's problem. Okay, so there was also in the early 20th century, 40% of your income was spent on food and there were diseases of malnutrition like rickets and pellagra, which I had never heard of. Because what the fuck is rickets even though? Don't we want to know what that is? I live in a time is? of food excess. What is rickets? And rickets is a disease of malnutrition. <laughs> I know, but I mean, what happens to you? It sounds itchy. Is it itchy? I don't. I don't know. I think it stunts your growth. I. I don't really know. Listen, if anyone out there has rickets, <laughs> do you have any? Again, we're looking at you. Please call in. Um, I did that. Just made me think of a really bad joke, which is rickets don't lose my number. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't want to make fun of diseases of malnutrition. So let's move on. Okay. Uh, so these diseases hit the poor the most. So they didn't have the luxury of leftover food because they were just eating. They're like, you know, they're barely getting enough to eat right. from meal to meal. So for them, leftovers were not a thing. Um, mm. And so basically it was just a problem for the early 20th century, upper middle classes. Right. Then... During World War II, leftovers became a moral issue because the United States started an international food aid program to help the Allies where the war fucked up food production. So Mm. they're like, hey, buddies, um, thanks for being on our side. Sorry that we bombed your food factory. Here is some food. Um, And they became a a big... Here's some turkey tetrazzini. (laughs) They started a big propaganda situation um, where they focused on America's Americans eating all of their leftovers and for housewives is to eat every single crumb and to not waste any food because of the poor starving children in Belgium. Um, wow. And so things like goulash and casseroles started to become part of the American diet. Um, people really went for this patriotic leftover eating. Um, <laughs> some people said that <laughs> restaurants should sell food scraps from dirty plates so that they didn't go in the trash. No, oh, perfect. That we used to do that at Brucey. Yeah, you would sell them. <laughs> yeah, um, just a little. <laughs> I don't little know if we used to sell them too, but that's fine. Yeah, uh, no, people we sold said, them. Just kidding. People said that it was immoral to own pets because they ate food that could be sent to starving children. So the thing about this is that back then, pets ate old human food. They didn't have pet food. They never had pet food. Okay. Yes. Those poor assholes are eating like boiled milk. <laughs> I think said boiled milk, but spoiled milk is worse. <laughs> boiled milk is delicious. Um, spoiled milk and old bread, and everyone's like, it's immoral for you to have a pet in the first place. And I'm like, it's immoral to feed your pets boiled milk. Totally. Uh, and, and also, that was when pets like strictly had to sleep and live outside. Like the dog was never even allowed in the house. So here's this poor animal just like. Living outside all winter, eating like, like why the... did you even domesticate me? You guys are the worst. He's I'm like, just I hate eat burnt lasagna. All these possums. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, people were like, it's immoral to own a pet, and some Americans, 
killed their pets. What? Rather than feed them leftovers that could go to the family or to the starving children. And newspapers lauded these people as patriotic. <gasps> How do you think they killed them? Is it weird that that's my first question? Yeah, it's just like old yeller. Like, do you just shoot them? I guess everyone had a gun back then. It's not the old west, but or do you, you just can like, shoot sh- them? You can strangle just stop it. Eating them. <laughs> I'm just like having an issue with like thinking about like how these people are killing their pets. Like, my first thought was that they, I don't know. Let's just stop there. <laughs> a whole generation of children are traumatized because their dad had to shoot their cat and their dog. I mean, how much fucking too food much could a cat milk. eat? <laughs> <laughs> How much could you be giving to a cat? I can see a dog. Okay, kill kill the dog. It's it's eating you out of house and home. It's but <laughs> a tiny cat. You're gonna um, just beat it against a tree rather than just give it a couple of crumbs of apple pie. I mean, whatever. Yeah, Patriot. That's a shame. Wow, that um, is patriotic, though. Yeah, that is what the movie The Patriot is all about. <laughs> That's what the Patriot Act it was written for. <laughs> Um, okay, so then the war's over. Everyone's like, yay, it's the 1920s, and Americans hate leftovers because food is cheap and we are rich. Mm. Rich people start to brag about how they never eat leftovers. There's a whole thing about wealthy Southerners talking about how they give their leftover food to their servants, which is a whole thing about... they. I, can't, I didn't write down what it was called because I'm a bad researcher, but it was called like something about... Giving something about giving their employees leftovers was a way for people in the South to not pay their servants a living wage because they're cool. like, well, we give them food, so they don't need to make as much money. Interesting. And it's real shady. Still and not doing cool. that today. It's amazing that they didn't all get murdered by their servants. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Not so yet. everyone's <laughs> like, yay, it's the 1920s. I hate leftovers. I'm rich. I'm in the Great Gatsby. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Um, but then the depression comes and everyone's like, hold on, leftovers are great. I am starving to death because of the death bowl. So as you can see, which makes sense, leftovers sort of popularity waxes and wanes based on how much money people have. Um, then, so basically in the depression, because it lasted so long and because so much of the population was poor, everyone was talking about it. They were talking about how leftovers are you know, honorable, you should get creative with it. It's like a way for the housewife to be creative and show her spunk. Um, that's how we got, so this is when things like pot pies and meatloafs and aspics started coming into happening where you just put all your leftovers into a jello mold. Mm. Um, there's also such things as ham banana rolls with cheese sauce. No, no. <laughs> hey, yes. you, no, yep. no, no, no. Banana no ham banana <clears throat> cheese banana a ham and a banana walk into a bar and get some <laughs> cheese sauce <laughs> and they say hey cover me in cheese sauce there's also something called a beef put together which i didn't look up because i want you to use your imagination oh interesting because my first thought was a steak wearing a suit and tie huh i was just thinking of a beef wellington Oh, okay. That is probably sort more of, reasonable. We, we did sort of a version of that, too, with our Thanksgiving leftovers. We just stuffed mashed potatoes, gravy, and turkey into puff pastry. It was good. That sounds great. Uh, there's also this dish which where you pureed carrots, presumably leftover, add breadcrumbs to them, and then form them back into the shape of a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. But it is a lot of work for no reason, huh? Uh, well, not for no reason, because you're using those leftovers because you're poor as hell. No, I understand. I'm just saying, like, I don't understand. Well, that's fine. 
I guess it makes sense. I would have just done something more like pureeing the carrots, maybe tapping it with breadcrumbs and baking it to mush it back into a regular carrot. Seems wild, but yeah. Well, it's time consuming, so you forget how, how desperately you poor you are. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you know, leftovers were chill for a while, and then in the '60s they became a joke again because in the '60s a large portion of America was way more well off. And so they didn't need to eat leftovers. They weren't food insecure. And so they were only spending 25% of their income on food now. And food was just getting cheaper and cheaper. So Mm. they weren't like, let's make an angel food cake with all these leftover egg whites. Let's just throw all the egg whites in the trash. Throw them out the window. Throwing away edible food became, or is, has always been, but was in the 60s a a sign of financial security. Um, And we started to throw away a shit ton of edible food. And that sort of led us to where we are now, where we still throw away a shit ton of edible food, but but leftovers are back in style. So I'm sure that you're aware of people trying to do like the no waste lifestyle where they don't use, they don't wait, they don't throw anything away when they cook. Um, Yes. And they're, you know, people are more conscious of the actual hidden costs of food, like water and the environment and livestock and workers on farms um and so it's back in style you would say but i feel like saying that leftovers are back in style is classist because like i grew up always eating leftovers yeah i agree my family (laughs) me too always i mean my family won't even get a pizza delivered because of the extra delivery charge they go pick up their pizza every time which i am annoyed by now in my old age but (laughs) my fucking (laughs) My grandfather, we, you know, we were pretty broke. My parents were pretty broke when I was really little. And we lived at my grandparents' house and they had a tiny house and they were not very well off either. And my grandpa grew up in the Depression, my dad's dad. And he was the most frugal person ever. He would pick the dandelion greens out of the cracks in the driveway Mm -hmm. and cook them. He would always go clamming. And my dad told me, my parents differ on this story, but my dad told me that I had a bunny when I was little. I never knew what happened to it. And my dad said that my grandpa took it out of the cage and cooked it and we and ate it. Well, that's the same. I mean, that's like also growing up during the Depression, I think. Because yeah. my grandma knew how to shoot squirrels and eat them. But she never she didn't do it anymore when I was alive. But she had done it in her childhood. Yeah. My grandpa um, was just like a very... Because, you know, oh, that's, once you are like that, I don't think it really wears off. I, com- I completely agree. And this man, like, just couldn't... He was in the Korean War. He was just that kind of guy. And I think he couldn't reconcile people having a pet. Probably because, like, he had to kill his own pet. And so yeah, he decided he to, to also kill my pet. pet. Yeah. He's like, this kid does not need to keep feeding all of this sour milk to this rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> also, bunny. rabbits are kind of gross to have as pets. They're just like... I had yeah. a friend who had... Damn. rabbits and she nailed their cages to the wall for some reason and they would just always pee all over the wall Why? Really who is this person crazy person the son of sam um yeah like i mean rabbits are adorable but they're they shit they just like won't agree to shit in one concentrated place they like, can't get it why could we train every other animal if we can eat an eagle they're... we can certainly train a bunny am i right no they're not very smart they're like hamsters hmm Hamsters at least know how to run on the wheel. What do bunnies do? They drown in their own water dish. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah, my friend's bunny, not the one who nailed them to a wall, a different friend who had a rabbit. Her rabbit drowned in its water dish. 
How do you have so many friends who own rabbits? That's pretty freaky, huh? I don't know. What kind of circles are you running in? (laughs) You go to, you move back to Indiana. Everyone has a bunny and you're like the odd man out. They're like, where's your bunny, Nicole? No, this was in the 80s. I feel like I don't know anyone. First, I don't know anyone at all. I have no friends because of COVID. (laughs) Thanks a lot. I live a completely isolated life, rabbit free. And (laughs) maybe that's what you're missing. In the 80s, a lot of my friends had rabbits. No, me too, actually. In the, I thought we were talking about now. Um, in the 80s and 90s, I, ble- I think that rabbits were very popular. And you know what else was a popular pet in the 80s and 90s, which I'm very glad went the way of the dodo bird? Um, not meaning it's extinct, just meaning it's gross uh, and stupid. A ferret. Yeah, my friend in college had a pet ferret, and I did not like it. Unacceptable. Unacceptable pet. They're smart, though. Yeah, but they're just like... They're like those, you know, those tubes, they're like long balloons that have a hole in the middle and they're full of water. No. That toy, it's like a, a weird toy that kids have. It's like a long. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. That's a ferret. I mean, it, except the ferret has hair and very sharp teeth. Yeah, they're weird. They're like weasels, but. Um, they are weasels. They're house weasels. One time I used to work for the Department of Education in New York and we would go, we went upstairs to this abandoned cafeteria and I found a magazine called ferret monthly no yeah and they i had i took it i don't have it anymore but i oh my god i recently found a picture of it in my phone i was like oh my god ferret monthly i forgot about you wow dude that that's gonna go on my all-time deal breakers list you're you hit it off with someone new they're really amazing you really like them you're just connecting the sex is great you have the same interests like it's you're like i finally met them and then you go back to their house, and hidden underneath their pillow is a copy of Ferret Monthly. Which is now out of print, so it's even weirder. Oh, God. a vintage Ferret Monthly? Or what if it even worse, Ferret Weekly? Right, Ferret. Like the, like the TV guide, but for ferrets. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe that's hilarious. Okay, should we take a little break Come back, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we'll hear the rest of this story? Yep. Okay, great. This episode is brought to you by Hearst Ranch. The Hearst family has raised cattle on California's central coast since 1865. Today, Hearst Ranch's signature product is their 100% grass-fed, completely hormone and antibiotic-free beef. The Hearst Ranches have always treated their animals with great care. Their cattle live a completely natural existence as foragers and grazers. Well-managed grazing fertilizes the land naturally sustains a seasonal rhythm to the ranches, and produces a remarkable meat whose flavor is the authentic taste of the American West. Hearst Ranch beef is available seasonally, May through August, in select whole food markets throughout California, and all year round at their retail locations in San Simeon and Paso Robles. And now, HRN listeners in Arizona, Nevada, and California can get Hearst Ranch beef delivered right to their door through Larder Meat Company. Go to LarderMeatCo.com and shop the 100% grass-fed box to stock your freezer with Hearst Ranch beef. That's L-A-R-D-E-R, MeatCo.com. Learn more about the storied history, farming practices, and conservation efforts of Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com.
we're back, everyone. We're ladies back. And germs. I just want to mention that I switched my chair that I normally sit in. I nor- normally sit in this like yellow chair. It's one of my dining chairs and I have it on my computer and it's quite rickety. It makes a lot of noise. So today I switched to like a leather chair that I have in my house, but it is making, I don't know if you can hear that, kind of like gastrointestinal yeah. sounds. So in case you're curious, it's just the chair, everyone. <laughs> Thank okay. God you told me. I know. I knew that you, that inquiring minds wanted to know. Okay. So I'm going to start you off with a couple of jokes here and, and it'll give be a dead giveaway as to what my topic is. But <laughs> so if you're going to murder someone, do it with a Tupperware top. No one will ever be able to find it. It's <laughs> <laughs> clever. It's clever. It's funny because it's true. It's true. Just ask my mom who refuses to organize her Tupperware. And that's what I love about you most, Mom, is that you just have this giant, giant cabinet underneath your sink that's just like a Tupperware graveyard. She's not alone. And millions of Americans have the same issue. It's true. It's it's really wacky. It's like a ball pit, but full of Tupperware. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. The sound of the rummaging is the best. And she always, like, she'll always go and look through it. And, you know, my mom's like a sweetie pie, but she also has just this, like, really, she gets frustrated easily. So she'll be looking through it and she's like, fucking shit, cunt, fuck. <laughs> just, like, can't find a Tupperware. I'm like, are you okay? She's like, this fucking shit Tupperware. I just need to organize it one of these days. This has been, like, what she's been saying since I was born. Well, that's what my, so my parents have a very, very, very tiny, tiny, like the kitchen that you would have in a mobile home, like a, not even, a, not a mobile home, but like a, an RV. Okay. Like that's the size of the kitchen that they have. And so I was talking to my stepmom and I was like, you know, we could get some stuff to organize this situation because you only have one cabinet and it's fit everything into the oh, one wow. cabinet. And, that's rough. Uh, and she was like, no, this house is too old for me to buy the organizing stuff and I'm like no I'm like so many hours of your life will be unfrustrated she's probably just wondering what she's going to do with all her free time she doesn't have to look for stuff exactly but like also when you're used to your own like weird thing in your house like it's just like well I live this way and so I'm used to it and so it's yeah, fine we all do every it time I take out a goddamn skillet I have to put take off like 16 things off the top of it and we use that thing every day <laughs> Infuriate. It is annoying. I, I will give it. I will give it to you. It is very I'm annoying. so angry. <laughs> oh my god! Just relax. So I have one more joke for you. Why did the walrus okay. go to the Tupperware party? To I don't know. He wanted to find himself a tight seal. <laughs> Are walrus you have to, into seal? I know, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. For this, you have to believe that walruses and seals co co bang each other, crossbreed. Are they going to eat the seal or are they going to date? Well, I think judging by the fact they said tight, he's looking for a seal with like a, you know, a tight puss. <laughs> oh, I thought he meant like she's tight. Like Oh, tight. she's tight. Okay. I mean, obviously my brain obviously went totally <laughs> south of the border because <laughs> I'm a 15-year-old boy at heart and in my brain. Okay. Today I got my information about the history of Tupperware from Smithsonian Magazine, Smith, Smithsonian's Magazine, Smithsonian's <laughs> Magazine, an article by Kat Eschner, an article by Larry Gatlin in the New York Post, and an article in Mental Floss by Nicole Garner. Okay, here we are. Picture it. I did not write down any dates. I don't really care. This is like Earl Tupper was the guy who invented Tupperware, and it came out in the late 19, like the mid-1940s. 
So he invents it. He's a plastics guy. He works in plastics post-World War II. And the whole thing is like... Oh, he's not like a plastic from Mean Girls. <clears throat> no, he's made of plastic. <laughs> he's the world's first living, breathing, pl- fully plastic man. Earl Tupper. Um, <laughs> and so he invents Tupperware after kind of tooling around with a bunch of other inventions. But like there wasn't plastic in the home up until this point it was very unusual to see plastic in the home and this was one of like the big issues why Tupperware had a hard time at first um they people definitely didn't use it for saving food and like some of the same things you were talking about I think it's cool that you did the story you did just like the history of Tupperware because it kind of kind of gives a glimpse into you know post-world war ii is when it kind of comes out so people are like okay you're talking my language i could save something instead of just giving it to this terrible terrible dog i've been looking to kill um (laughs) but they don't like plastic so they're just like well i guess i'm just gonna try to stuff this whole cake into a jar so something needed to shift i think that they had glass containers they all they did they did it was very breakable though so (laughs) Their first invention was the Wonder Bowl, which was just like a big bowl with a lid. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting. Good name. Wonder I know. Ball. Look at this. Well, everything in like the 40s and 50s was like, especially the 50s, right? It was like futuristic, like the Wonder Bowl, the Space mm-hmm. Bowl, you know. Um, but, you know, I got to give a credit. Vintage Tupperware is very nice looking. It's much different than like the Tupperware of today, which gets stained with tomato sauce. And, thanks, I mean, I, capitalism. Yeah, thanks a lot, fucking capitalism. We could have had nice Tupperware if it's not for you. <laughs> I mean, not that Ed Tupper was like, upstanding guy no ed tupper was a marxist oh he was no i'm kidding <laughs> i'm definitely... like oh a marxist mid-level marketing scheme i'm down <laughs> imagine a Marx- marxist mlm <laughs> is that is it mid-level marketing multi-level marketing multi-level i'm like it's mid-level it's not really like a high-level marketing scheme it's mid-level it's just mid-levels it's so look here's the thing so mid mid-level multi-level marketing as nicole just mentioned is basically like a way of like it's direct sales so like avon um electrolux my i will tell you another funny story about my grandpa in a minute about electrolux but it's like basically when you get things at wholesale cost and you're meant to sell them retail yourself instead of the company selling them amway amway it's direct to consumer and it's basically a pyramid scheme but tupperware did not start off as being like a direct sales company it just was it was tanking Mm-hmm. Um, because nobody wanted weird plastic stuff in their house and like they didn't get it. They're like, oh, I'm good with this. So enter this woman, Brownie Wise. First of all, is Brownie the cutest name for a human that could possibly exist? It is, but is it also sort of like um, emasculating in a way so that you, you're always just like, don't take her seriously? Hmm, interesting. I have no idea. All I know is that she was a real trip and she seemed like a cool person. Obviously, we need to hear more. There might be other things about her that come out that aren't so good. I couldn't find any. She sounded like a real no, fucking she's badass. Great. There's yeah. also, she's, do they talk about her in The Dream, that podcast about MMs? Yeah, they yeah. do. And that's a great podcast that you turned me on to. Um, the first season was like really, really awesome. Yeah. But so basically, Brownie Wise is a single divorced woman who, quote, got a divorce from her drunken and moody ex-husband, which is like <laughs> 1950s speak for saying that he used to beat the shit out of her when he was wasted. So totally. she she lived with her mom and son in Florida, and she started hosting. She basically began doing Tupperware parties, which were called poly tea parties back then, because like poly tea was like the kind of plastic. 
Uh, oh my god! They I know. didn't even have a cute name for it. No, and and so she'd host these poly, uh, poly tea parties out on her patio or lanai, if you will, if you're a Golden Girls fan. Um, and she recruited other people to work for her. So, like hostesses would receive merchandise as a thank you for like lending their homes. Um, and in, by 1949, the Wonder Bowls were like really selling fast. She sold like almost $200,000 of merchandise in a year. One woman sold more than 56 bowls in a week. Oh my God. I know that's a lot of bowls. Can you imagine knowing 56 people and selling them a plastic bowl in one week? That seems crazy. Also like what was her technique? She's just driving around being like hey look at this poly tea i got well i think it's community polymer look at this dangerous plastic that i'm looking to introduce into your home that's going to change the uh the whole way the earth runs and spins for the rest of time Soon there'll be a whole island in the ocean made out of this crap (laughs) so she's like i'm looking to destroy the environment who's coming with me um so anyway yeah so she would basically well she did it by like hosting these parties so it's like you know, this was specially geared for, like, women, single women, and they eventually got, like, men involved, too. But it was a way for, you know, the way I heard it, have heard it described, it was empowering at the time because it was a lot of women who were told, like, all they can do is, you know, take your shoes off and get back in the kitchen. And this was a way of women, like, selling things and kind of... And then other people talk about how maybe it wasn't great for feminism because it kept women at home and not in the actual you know, workforce and doing more professional things. But I don't know. I think if it felt empowering for women at the time, it's it's a good thing. It's also a way for women whose husbands didn't want them to go into the workforce, but they really wanted to do something to, like, still stand under their weird husband's rule, but also have something of their own. Right, right. Totally. So she would do... <laughs> She would do things and she, like, started doing these, uh, like, group parties and these, like, really dramatic games. Uh, I'm going to talk more about that at the end, but this one was just funny to me. One of them was tossing a sealed Wonder Bowl full of grape juice around the room <laughs> to demonstrate oh the strength God. of the seal. <laughs> no. Really, really amazing. Um, but anyway, so it just, like, it made me laugh and it made me think of my grandfather, the same grandfather I was just talking about earlier with the dandelion greens and who murdered and ate my pet. Um, he was an Electrolux vacuum salesman and it was, like, the pride and joy of his life because up until then he had been, like, an oil truck driver and so when he became an Electrolux salesman they gave him, like, a free Cadillac. It was, like, the thing of his life. He was, you know, he was obsessed with it. He was so proud of it. And so my uncle recently told me this story about he went to uh, people's houses and his whole shtick is he'd bring a bag of dirt with him (laughs) wherever he went (laughs) and he would toss it on these people's floor after they let him in the house to demonstrate how well the Electrolux worked. So I guess he went into a house one day and he had taken my uncle Stephen with him on a call and he's like, look at this, son. This is how this works. He's like, we're going to throw the dirt. So he goes and he's like... I want to show you how the Electrolux works. And he plugs it in. And he throws the dirt on the people. Are like, no, 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 They're like, our electricity doesn't work. <laughs> so he just had to like basically crab walk out of the room having just poured like all this dirt on their floor. <laughs> I hope he swept it up. <laughs> I have no idea. But uh, it's really terrible. But anyway, so 
Okay, I, according to some articles I read, the congenial atmosphere of a party is relaxing. All the guests are imbued with a group spirit of the party. The social spirit of a party tends to lower sales resistance of those present as well increase the competitive buying spirit. Buying spirit is contagious. It's a powerful, proven fact that you will sell more to a group of 15 women than you will sell to them individually, which is true. Yeah, because the sheep, the crowd mentality takes over. Exactly. Um, okay, so Brownie used her power for good, which is why, like, I mean, amongst other things I read about her, but she just sounded like a cool woman. She was a philanthropist. She established Tupperware Art Fellowships. Oh, so anyway, I should mention that they gave her a, a vice presidency position, like vice president of sales, basically, um, in Tupperware in the late 40s because of how amazing she was. She was just like a regular housewife, and she ended up being like a vice president in this company, but she did not have a contract, and she did not have any stock in the company, which comes yeah, in later. Yeah, I remember that part. They kind of, they definitely screwed her over. Yeah, they fired her. And she's the reason, that that's right, they fire her, and she's the reason that Tupperware exists today. Exactly. They fire her, and they give her um, $30,000. And then eventually, like, Earl Tupper ends up um, selling the company, divorcing his wife, and, like, moving to Costa Rica. So... <sighs> whatever he sucks but yeah she went on to work for like other companies like cosmetic companies and stuff like that but not not all of them were that great she got fired in 1958 because yeah she didn't have a formal contract it really sucks um he he ended up selling the company for 16 million dollars um but anyway i want to tell you like a really funny story um okay so she ends up doing like all these like wacky parties at the end of one infamous soiree she surprised 1,200 guests with a luau on a private island, which she owned. So I guess she was, like, making some bank. Um, and she didn't realize that it was going to be terrible weather. So a storm <laughs> came in and started, like, you know, really fucking with everything. And people got, like, really hurt. And they were, like, trying to scramble to get off the island to the mainland. And 21 people ended up in the hospital because oh all the God. boats crashed in the darkness. Can you just imagine, right. like, cl- clutching to Tupperware? How does this bitch have an island? She has an island, and people got shipwrecked on it. And they had to, like, (laughs) basically save themselves with, thank God there was all that Tupperware. They just floated on the Tupperware until someone came to save them? (laughs) Yeah, they're like, please, somebody. The Wonder Bowl. (laughs) It's full of grape juice. Where was the island? I'm assuming somewhere probably, I would think, like, off of Florida, because she lived in Florida. Probably, yeah. One of, let's say... Key Largo. Montego. She owned she owned Key West. She owned Key West, which sidebar, I love Key West. Have you ever been? No, I've never been there. I gotta get there. But COVID is I actually was planning on going there this February with a friend of mine. Um ahem, I would love to go to Key West with you because Key West would be a I perfect know. place for us. You I know it, it would be. But she was like she's like, I'm going on a she just had a baby, so she, her baby's one, and she's like, "Mom needs to go on a vacation." And she was like, "Do you want to go to Key West with me?" And I was like, "Of course." And now we can't go. Key West is totally the place for you. It's like a cool drive. There's tons of thrift stores. You can just like. It's stop so expensive at, like... to stay there because we were going to go. You and I were going to go for a yeah. while, but then we didn't. It's like very expensive to stay there. Cheap to get there. Expensive to stay. Yeah, that's why it's like better to kind of probably stay in like one of the other keys. Yeah. This is a Key West podcast. Also, Key Lime. I mean, delicious. <laughs> I made a key lime pie for Thanksgiving. It was so We good. had a key lime pie for Thanksgiving also. You did? Was it good? 
my sister's boyfriend is from Florida. He loves Key Lime Pie. I, we didn't eat, actually get into it because we, we actually had a really funny thing happen to us, which I'll tell you after you tell me. Are there any more hilarious party stories? Yeah, there's a couple more. <laughs> Do you want me to finish All it right. up here? There's, this one's amazing. Okay. So here's a couple of like, I was just like scouring the internet and this was harder information to find than I thought it would be. But um, I scoured the internet for, like, different um, Tupperware party games, like, vintage Tupperware party games. And here's a couple of the ones that I think are funniest. This one's the Yeah, best. you couldn't find it because Google sucks really bad and they won't publish any articles that haven't been written since the year 2018. It's really I annoying. I know. It is really annoying. Okay, but I did find these. So there was the Nickel Game. In the okay. Nickel Game, a game from the early days of Tupperware parties, an open Tupperware container is placed on the opposite end of the room. The party forms two teams, and one leader is chosen for each team. The leader runs across the room with a nickel between her knees and attempts to drop the nickel in an open bowl. Oh, okay. (laughs) How could you possibly run with a nickel in between your knees? I don't know. No, seriously. How could you? Okay, this player then runs back to the... (laughs) It's... I feel like we have to like do this on our own after the show. I should have okay. I should have practiced it beforehand. Okay, this player then runs back to the in the back of the line, and the next person runs forward also with the nickel between the knees. The first team to get all its nickels in a bowl wins a prize. Now I don't know what the fuck this has to do with Tupperware, but it sounds insane. You're just getting okay. everybody in the spirit. I mean. That's like my worst nightmare. Having to do a group activity like this—that's so humiliating. No, thank you. Um, this next game is called the potatoes and apples game. In the potato, what? Am I frozen? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I don't, oh, okay. I'm scared. What's going to happen with you? Yeah, this is not as bad. This is more just like bizarre. Um, in the Tupperware potato party game, the most contacts, uh, the host contacts each guest before the party and asks her to bring a single potato, not a merry potato. Sorry, Mister Potato Head. During the party, the host awards points based on specific characteristics of the potato. For what? example, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you could like. I don't. Okay, for example, red potatoes may receive twenty-five points, while brown potatoes receive ten points. The largest number of points goes to anyone who brought her potato in a Tupperware. Prize. Rude. Can you imagine, a, like, just some freaky lady bringing a put a huge Tupperware full of one single, like, baby red potato. Well, also, why is she going to the Tupperware party if she already knows about Tupperware? Exactly. Prizes are awarded to those who score the highest after all the points have been tallied. In a variation of this game, players each bring an apple and combine the apples to make applesauce after the game is over. That's, like, seven hours of work. It's so much work. It's so stupid. And it's just, like, you can just picture that it's, like, such a mean girls game that the popular, like, ladies in the neighborhood are like, oh, my God, Darlene, I love your potato. It's so round. And then, like, some nerdy one, they're like, Gladys, your potato is covered in spuds. One point. (laughs) Yeah, the new girl from California brought the red potato, which I never even heard of. (laughs) Okay, I have one more. Uh, I've never done that. Ask each of your guests to bring a $10 roll of quarters to the party. Place a bowl in the middle of the table as you're, that you're sitting at. The hostess starts announcing an activity that she has never done. Any of the other guests have done that activity, they must place a quarter in the bowl. If a, This is my favorite part. If a, This is where it gets real fucking bitchy. If a guest claims she has never done something, but someone else reminds her that she actually did, 
Elaine, you did have anal sex with the mailman. What are you talking about? <laughs> the woman that denied she did it must pay two quarters instead of one. The oh, game- my God. So it's like never have I ever. <laughs> exactly. But like with like housewives who get like a little too drunk, probably on like boxed wine and start like outing each other for all their like crazy sex acts. The game <laughs> continues in a clockwise pattern around the table. Each woman announcing something she has never done. I would be uh, to be a fly on the wall. I oh, mean, yeah. A never have I ever Tupperware party with a bunch of <laughs> drunk housewives eating ambrosia salad. I can't even imagine. And um, then all getting together after the party to make applesauce for seven hours. <laughs> exactly. And talk shit about the person who brought like a fingerling potato. Um, and so put red hots in it. Yeah, oh, God. Do you like red hots in your um, applesauce? I don't like red hots, period. Oh, my mom puts them in there and I, I kind of like it. Um, okay, look, so I'm just going to give you a quick summation of what happened to Brownie Wise. She perished at age 90, at age 79 in 1992. Um, another fun fact, Tupperware containers are imprinted with Braille. Really? Yes, I think that's very cool. Huh. And today across the globe, a Tupperware party is ever, guess how often a Tupperware party is held as of 2018? Every minute. Every 1.4 seconds. What? Yeah, over 500,000 Tupperware parties are held each year in France alone. Can you imagine that French people? crazy. The people in France, the people who invented Le Creuset. Exactly. They're like, bonjour, Tupperware. Get in here, <laughs> meatloaf. Anyway, that's my story of Tupperware. Well, I have one Tupperware personal experience to share, please, which please. is my favorite Christmas album growing up that my mom had was called Celebrate the Season with Tupperware. Oh, really? Yeah, and it Actually, was... I knew, I knew that. That's awesome. Obviously, it came, I guess, with some sort of purchase of Tupperware. Um, but it had... It was like a compilation album, so it had, like, the, um, the Carpenters on there and some... Like, some it was, like, original classics or whatever, but um, it's, like, the thing that I most remember when I think of Christmas is, like, that album, because my mom would always play it. And I actually Aww. bought my sister a vinyl version of it last Christmas, or a couple Christmases ago, so it's still available out there. That's so get cute. a copy. Get yourself a copy. Come Their on, head down. Instrumental version of Sleigh Ride is Chef's Kiss. Oh my god, that's so fun. That's a great memory to have. Oh, that's really sweet. Um, should we go ahead and do top three? Or do you want yeah. to, should we do recommendations for leftovers or favorite leftovers? Let's do our favorite leftovers. Okay. What are yours? My favorite leftovers is to like I like to do, I like all the white carbs so mm-hmm. you take like uh, a roll leftover mashed potatoes leftover sweet potatoes and like leftover macaroni and cheese or noodle item and just smash it all together onto a roll mm. <laughs> that sounds i mean like a thanksgiving sandwich carbs on carbs carbs on carbs on carbs sounds delicious what about you oh but that's only one are we gonna do three Oh, that was three. That was like five. Oh, but because each item counts as one thing. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I don't really have a favorite Thanksgiving leftover. I don't have a tradition in which like I do a Thanksgiving leftover per se. But I will say my three favorite things to do like with leftovers in my normal life, which is my number three is that when I like roast vegetables, like I often have ends of roasted vegetables or withering vegetables that are going bad in my fridge and I usually always have eggs so pretty much every week I just take my withered vegetable ends and I make like a frittata 
Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, my, like, most go-to vegetable thing. I think that I mean, Withered Vegetable thing. Ends is a good, like, metal band name. Totally. We are Withered Vegetable Ends. Fuck you, Brooklyn. <laughs> one, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> um, so, and then I also make a thing that's, like, really good with Withered Vegetable Ends, um, which is that, like, I whip them up in the food processor uh, they're this they have to be roasted for this. I whip them whip them up in the food processor with like some pecorino, maybe some like pickled peppers, and then you have a dip like a veggie that dip. Sounds delicious, and it it's so 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 good. Really, and then dip is my favorite my food, so one, this is perfect. It's so perfect, and it like really if you just have that like little bit of broccoli you don't know what to do with, or like it just works for anything. Or even if you make it with fresh vegetables, it doesn't have to be leftovers, but like roasted vegetable dip is just so satisfying. It really helps if you have like olive oil and pecorino and makes it really delicious, but you know, you don't have to. Um, you can always also throw like a can of beans or chickpeas in there, some tahini. And um, my number so one, wild. my number one go-to thing that I do with leftovers is make stock. When you were talking about earlier, people mm-hmm. who like really try, you know, as a chef and, as just someone who likes to cook, I try not to waste too much either. And I have like a bag in my freezer and I roast a chicken maybe once a week or every other week. Um, and I just have different bags in my freezer for like my little vegetable, like, you know, the tops of leeks and the bottoms of leeks and onion tops and bottoms and whatever that seems like it would go. I just apple cores and I throw it in a bag in my freezer. And then like every one or two weeks, I just go ahead and throw that in a stock pot and you got a soup going and I make, I make broth and then I have broth in my freezer. Yeah. It's really a great idea. Yeah. That's kind of like my go-to, my go-to with. It's great for these times when we're back to being trapped in our homes. Totally. Totally. Oh, I have another um, tip that I want to talk about with leftovers too quickly because I know we have to go. But a lot of us got really excited about making sourdough last year or maybe like years ago, maybe been making sourdough forever. But if you make sourdough at home, you like usually discard some of it so you can, the starter, so you can make fresh starter because otherwise it just overflow and overflow. But you can use that starter and just like put some, sprinkle some salt in it and put it right into a hot frying pan. And it makes like this delicious sourdough pancake. And it's very low gluten because, I mean, if you're a celiac, it wouldn't work. But if you're trying to like maybe not eat too much gluten because it hurts your stomach because all the gluten's kind of been eaten up in the starter. So it's really oh, good. Oh, interesting. That's really a great idea. Yeah, it's delicious. That's de- a Thanksgiving delicious. leftover I can get behind. That is a great Thanksgiving leftover. And you can put all kinds of shit in there. You can go ahead and put like, you know, whatever burnt vegetable ends, whatever our band is called, or fresh vegetables. Withered, withered vegetable ends. <laughs> withered vegetable ends. Some kimchi is nice in there, scallions. Or you can do it like sweet with like some fruit and honey and butter. It's really good. Try it out. Um, This was a great episode. Great episode. What a great idea. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to, you know what my, (laughs) Nicole and I always chat about the show like a couple days before. We're like, what should we do this week? And you always have like the greatest ideas. And my ideas when you pick a fun idea is always terrible. My idea this week was (laughs) going to be death. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, let's do death. And I'm like, leftovers. (laughs) (laughs) Like I didn't even tell you that until just now, but it's like, "Mm, interesting. How are they going to make that work? Like a food comedy history, Nicolas Cage podcast about death. Oh, one more thing. I did remember what my Nicolas Cage thing was that I had been talking about during the summer. It was that I wanted to get a cage match tattoo. And I wanted to get a tattoo of, like, a match, and in the burning flame would have been Nicolas Cage's 
face. Oh, so that reminds me I... of another Nicolas Cage movie that really gets me in the gut, which is the uh, Sucker Punch. Or what? it's not Sucker Punch. Is it Sucker Punch? Oh, no. Kick Ass. Kick Ass. Yeah. The, the spoiler alert: the final part of the movie, he's literally burning to death while giving his daughter <laughs> that he's horribly abused and turned into a mercenary. But um, it's like makes me cry every time because he's like on fire and he's telling her how to kill all the bad guys. Yeah, and it just. Breaks your heart. God bless you, Nicolas Cage. If you're listening right now, I'm assuming you're probably <laughs> petting or eating a bald eagle that you own. And we would like you to call into the show because we absolutely love you. I, I love Actually, Nicolas Cage. I read. I just read a long-form article about Carrot Top. Mm-hmm. And he actually hasn't had plastic surgery for the record. Or he says, you know, really? according to him. I think he's fucking but, lying. Um, but whatever. He... It was actually a really interesting article. Uh, they just hmm. kind of like follow him around for a couple of days. Um, but he is friends with Nicolas Cage. They hang out all the time. Nicolas Cage spends a lot of time in Vegas, and he has a show wow. in Vegas. That's amazing. Can you I know. imagine what it would be like to spend time with Nicolas Cage and Carrot Top? Probably very boring, actually. They, they, I don't, it didn't sound boring. Like, they... They were going to wear, like, sequin costumes, but they decided what? not to. It seemed very weird. Oh, man. Okay. So my first instinct would be to think that it would be a rocking good time. And then I was like, well, that would have to be, like, t- they would cancel each other out and they would just, like, knit together or something. But I feel like he's, like, he's one of those people that's successful who didn't, like, turn to drugs or alcohol or anything. So he, like, the, in the article, the person who's interviewing him n- mentions that he only eats half of what he orders and he was like he only eats half of what he orders he has a 20 inch waist and i was oh, like wow okay, okay. all right Karen, top, whatever. Well, i eat all of what i order and i <laughs> my waist is larger <laughs> <laughs> maybe but for now i think my face looks better than carrot top but he is about 15 years older than me so we'll see what happens he's in his late 90s oh my god speaking of which i'm sorry amanda i know you're probably so annoyed with us but i do have one last thing i want to say Right before the show, I was reading news. I had a couple minutes. And I saw that the queen of England, this bitch is riding a fucking pony. She's 94. She's 94. She's on a pony. Where? Shouldn't she ride a normal horse? I mean, I'm surprised that she's on any horse. Can you imagine being 94 and mounting a horse of any kind? I can't imagine being 94. It's never going to happen for me. But I... I think that if you live a life of luxury, also, I think if a TV show is being made about you, you probably stay alive long enough to check it out, right? That's true. She could have been airlifted onto the pony. We have no idea. But she looked very adorable. And, it, she, you know, the queen actually looks like my grandmother, my dad's mom, my grandma Helen. Looks exactly like Queen Elizabeth. Hmm. Imagine if it was Queen Elizabeth and I just found out someone knocked my door tomorrow. They're like, you're the heir to the throne. <laughs> like King Ralph. Have you ever seen King Ralph with John Goodman when he finds out he's like the king? Oh yeah, I always for some reason get that movie. I conflate that with Green Card for some reason. Oh, Depardieu. See and what? Andy McDowell. Yes, with Gerard <laughs> Depardieu who drinks fourteen bottles of wine per day. God, God love him. <laughs> wow. Well, we really should start a movie podcast because it's just yeah obviously time. King Ralph. So we can talk about King Ralph finally. We can talk about what we've all been waiting for. (laughs) That 15 people have seen and 15 people care about. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. 
Well, Nicole, this has been a pure delight. I missed hearing your adorable voice. And I know, I, love you so I miss much. you too. And well, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a chat after the show as we like to do. Okay, Asla Pasta folks. See you later. Thanks, Amanda, bye for bye. letting us go along. You're you're a treat. Bye. God bless. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>